Rod, I think I said that before, uh, and my pronouns are he and him. Um, let's pray, and then we'll talk about Philippians. Um, loving God, I thank you for this place. Um, I thank you for the chance to meet together and to think about you, think about your love, think about what it means to be a community that follows Jesus. And I pray that you'll be with us this morning as we do that. Amen. Um, so we did, we did a little bit of a survey a little while ago, like a week or two ago, just how things are going church-wise. You know, Tamsin and Shane and I really want to make sure that this place is working for you. And some of the feedback we got was that people wanted things to stay not too heavy on Sundays. Um, so we're looking at... Um, Philippians, but we're going to try to do it in um, a light way. Exactly, there's nothing nothing lighter than the civil rights movement. Um, we're going to to focus on friendships and relationships as we see them in this this letter. Uh, for people that don't know, um, the Philippians is a a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a small church in a Roman colony in Greece called Philippi. And what we're trying to do, for some people you may know nothing about Paul or about Philippi, you may have never read the letter. For some of you, you may have read it way too many times. Um, and for both groups, we want to try to start afresh with this letter and try to... Um, yeah, try to set aside anything that we think we know and uh, experience it for the first time or as if it's the first time. Um, and one of the things I want to do as we read in the book of Acts, which is all about you know, what happened with the church in you know, the 30, 40 years after Jesus um, died and was raised, is um, we're going to look at Acts 16 where... Paul arrives in Philippi for the very first time. So this is like the backstory to the letter of the Philippians. And one of the, the thing I want to do to try to engage with it differently is I, I want to I want you to think of it, think of Paul as like um, Munro Sharp here of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, going into the Deep South, or in this case, Greece, um, in a kind of voter registration drive. So Paul, it, often we, we read these letters and we don't understand the kind of social and cultural distinctions. And I think this is a helpful parallel to imagine Paul as a black activist going into very hostile territory and trying to be an agent of liberation for kind of other black people in that community who are at the, on the bottom rung of the social scale who have been denied their freedoms and rights. So Paul is like, yeah, like a voter registration activist from the north going to the south and saying, you are important, you are significant, and you deserve greater connection and greater freedoms. Um, and if we think of Paul... More like this, um, maybe some of the things that we associate with Paul might drop away a little bit as we read this story. Does that make sense? 
And that's a big jump, but hopefully a helpful jump. Um, so we've got the story on three slides. So I'm just wondering if I have three people that would volunteer to read bits of this story um, while you're thinking about whether you want to volunteer. Oh, thanks, Janet. Um, yeah, so as we read, trying to um, picture Lydia, who Paul encounters, and the jailer who he encounters, and the slave girl that he encounters as kind of black people in a white town. Um, and think of the things he goes through as the kinds of things that um, civil rights activists went through in southern towns in the 1960s. Um, so, thanks. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to ne uh, Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. <coughs> On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of uh, Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my place. And she persuaded us. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her own as a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days until Paul overcome by emotion, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful to us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them there, keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, "'Do not harm yourself!' for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptised without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported the message to Paul, saying, The magistrates sent word to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul replied, They have beaten us in public, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And now, are they going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us out themselves. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologised to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home. And when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. Acts 16, 11 to 40. Thanks. Um, yeah, so let's have a, a break now for, for tea and coffee. But as you... Um, as you get tea and coffee, as you think, um, as you chat, sorry, I just want you to, yeah, just reflect on how that metaphor of, you know, civil rights activists, how that shifts your experience of the story. He, things, details like the jailer being prepared to kill himself, and you think as a, as a black man that's been put in charge of these other black men and let them escape, what that would mean in a southern town. So have a reflect on that as you just get tea and coffee, and then we'll start again in a few minutes. Thanks. Um, so in, in classic Rod style, we're going to shift gears completely in a minute, but I did want to give people a chance to just say any, anything that stood out to them from that passage, kind of in light of that photo, in light of that kind of reframing of the story. There may be nothing and that's totally fine, but I just wanted to see if there's anything like listening to that story where you think, oh, think, oh I'd never experienced it that way before or never um, noticed that before. Tamsin? I sort of never really thought of Paul's prison experience as bad. Like it's sort of, it's so sanitised in all the versions that we, it's sort of, yeah, the thought of just him being chained up. But it's just that, oh, like, oh, why has it been so sanitised? It's really not a violent, rough... We just say, oh, yeah, it was really hard in one sentence, but not that actually there was quite a lot of... There would have been a lot of violence and it's a, a really horrendous situation. Um, yeah, I don't know why that... But it just has been so wiped out. These stories have just become so shallow over the years for me. Um, but it's helpful to kind of look at, oh, violence is really real and really deep and really shows the anger and the brutality and that to kind of add a bit of depth to the story for me. And the beating with rods. <laughs> Happens a lot in my house. <laughs> um, yeah, I also think that, like, I've read the Bible as race shallow or, like, culture shallow. And I think that that comes from 
um, growing up in a very white community, there wasn't much diversity. So it's very easy to not have that voice brought to it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Or I suppose really important to have that voice and that depth brought to it that there is actually so much going on and so much more than just these people being persecuted because of their their faith, which we can easily go, yeah, I get persecuted for my faith because I got bullied at school for being a Christian or whatever, but it's actually so much deeper than that and that's actually so, so important to remember, especially being super privileged. I was listening to a, an African-American woman theologian this week just saying how, yeah, there's only one white person with a speaking role in the entire Bible, and that's Pontius Pilate. That's it. Um, and she described Jesus as a brown-skinned black man, which I thought was so powerful, that idea that cause, because whiteness and blackness are a construction, and her going, no, Jesus is in this category because of his experience. Mm. Annika. I guess two observations that I sort of felt really powerful connecting it to the experience of black Americans um, even now. The, the singing in the jail took on such a different flavour and um, I guess it was just really powerful too of acknowledging how much the suffering of black African Americans have sort of manifested in that similar way of, I don't know, just thinking about what it would have taken for Paul and Silas to sing in prison after having been beaten and, and ashamed. And then the thing that sort of broke me was that um, the city apologised for how they treated them. And, um, and so much of me wishes that for black African Americans today that um, citizenship was enough to protect them, to make the city apologise um, for having, for the violence that they do. Yeah, but the apology that they offered was a, an apology that means no loss of face. So, sorry, off you go. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You need to do this publicly. You need to lose face because that's what you've done to me at Warwick. Uh, I just wondered if when they said, when Paul says, oh, we're, we're still here, was he meaning just him and Silas or did the, all the other prisoners stick around as well? I, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful idea to think that Paul and Silas said to everyone, like said to all the other black prisoners, don't leave because our black jailer will die if we do. You know, he'll be killed by his white overseers or whatever. Mm. What struck me was the different people that Paul connected with who were all downtrodden and outcasts in different ways, the, the three of them and how he was able to address them where they were at. You know, you have this picture of Paul being righteous and fairly narrow in what he taught, which I believe is cultural, but um, he was open to anyone around at that time who was suffering one way or another. Just that thing of going, going into this town and going, OK, so... Where do we go? Okay, let's go outside the city walls down to the river and just, yeah, let's see who's there. Let's let's move away from the centre to the margins of this city and see who's there and talk to these women. Thanks, everyone. Um, 
So the other thing I want to do this morning is just uh, introduce you to, um, briefly introduce you to the letter to the Philippians. Um, and again, the way I wanted to do it was to really strongly kind of make it unfamiliar to us. Um, because yeah, so much of the language, as with the Bible generally, at a, at a surface level, it can be kind of off-putting, hard to engage with, and so we lose some of the, the riches and the possibilities. So what I've done um, controversially is I've written a paraphrase of Philippians. That I'm just, it's quite short, don't worry. Um, a paraphrase of Philippians that I want to read today to introduce us to the book before we read the actual thing. Um, an extremely loose paraphrase. Um, so I've... Um, so when Paul wrote the, Philippian, the, the letter to the Philippians, he was in jail. We're not entirely sure where he was in jail because he was in jail in so many different places. But he was in jail when he wrote it. Um, and the Philippians had... The reason for the letter is the Philippians had sent him some money to support him. So, so the kind of loose parallel that I've created is we are now the Philippians. So it's a letter to our community from... Um, someone who used to be part of our community um, is now an, an older person in hospital in Sydney, um, having been on life support for a couple of weeks with COVID, um, and they are now out of the ICU, and we've sent them a care package, and they're writing us a letter to say thank you. Um, so that's the context of this paraphrase, loose, loose paraphrase of Philippians. Um, and so one more thing before I read it, and that is just, again, to circle back to where I started. The real focus for us as we look at this um, letter over the next few weeks is the quality of friendship, the quality of relationship that we see in this. And that's what I, I'm trying to foreground in this paraphrase. Okay, here we go. Hey, all you lovely FNCC people, grace and peace to you all. Even though I am so far from you all now, I'm so grateful that FNCC exists and that you keep following Jesus in the unique way that you do and fighting to make the world a kinder and more loving place in your little corner of it. And I know that God is there with you in what you are doing. I've been feeling a bit better recently. I am off the ventilator and out of ICU and have a lot more energy. And the time, not just to write this email, but to reflect on how much I miss you all and to connect with just how important the work of communities like FNCC is. I really hope, dare I say pray, that you are all able to feel how important that work is and hang in there with each other in chasing the dream of a Jesus community of love and justice. I've actually been chatting to my nurses about our community. I have kind of surprised myself, really, after so many years of not knowing how to talk about Jesus in a way that would make any sense to anyone, let alone 20-something nurses. FNCC has helped me find a way of understanding and talking about my faith that I really want to share with other people, and that really connects. So thank you for that. 
I've been thinking a lot about my mortality too. I was so close to death a couple of weeks ago and I'm not out of the woods yet. And there is actually a part of me that was really ready to go. I've had a good life, though tough at times. And the combination of contentment and tiredness has opened me up to the idea of my own death. But it has also clarified for me how I want to live with whatever time I have left. I want to fill that time with the kindness and love that now sum up for me what it is to follow Jesus. And given that I'm stuck in hospital, what that looks like now is writing emails like this to say to, say to the people I love how proud I am of them and to tell them to stay true to that path of kindness and love. It is all that really matters in the end. I'm not sure if I will get to see you all again in Melbourne, even if I get out of hospital at some point. But whether or not I do, I just want to say, keep loving each other and stay unified in a gentle way, of course, so that your beautiful community survives and God willing thrives. I've also been meditating a lot, and bear with me here, on the crazy idea of God becoming a human being, of what that actually involved, that the power that is in and through the whole universe would take the form of a tiny and vulnerable human baby. It's an incredible idea. And that that baby would end their life standing in total solidarity with the God-forsaken victims of humanity by dying on the cross. The divine giving up and giving away literally everything. Maybe it is the fact of being in a situation where so much has been taken away from me, where I am so in touch with the fragility of the human body that has connected me at a really gut level to this reality. It has also got me thinking about the other side of it too, Jesus' resurrection. I find myself believing in resurrection more and more as I become less and less sure what it means. Does that make sense? Resurrection just has to be part of the story if God is who Jesus reveals God to be. Anyway, all I really want to say is that my encounter with my mortality over the last three weeks makes me want to tell you all to stay humble, stay grateful, stay kind, and stay joyful. Those things alone will make you shine like stars in this world. I know you may be thinking, how can we be joyful given the state of the world? And I hear you. But it is more and more clear to me that despair is our enemy. I, also have I totally get it if you are feeling despair. So don't feel bad if you do. do it's just that I also know that if we don't help each other in our despair, it will consume us. Joy is an act of resistance to despair. The rich and powerful want us to feel despair so that we won't resist them, so that they can stay in control. As someone that used to be part of the problem, 
Some of you know my dark history in the finance sector. I can tell you that everything I used to value when I was in that world, I now recognise as nothing but worthless shit. Uh, and that is an authorised translation of Philippians. We'll, we'll come back to that word. It's an important one. As I faced the very real prospect of my own death, I can't believe I spent so many years in that world. It is such a cliche, but all I really want now is to be like Jesus, to embody humility and love and resistance to shitty forms of power in the way he did. The thing is... It is so much better and easier to do it in community with other people, which is why I'm writing this email to you to tell you to hang in there with each other. What you are doing may seem like a drop in the ocean compared to the need out there. You may feel like you have so little power to move the world in the direction of the kingdom of God, but all you can do is your little bit and don't worry about the rest. Trust in the power of the resurrection whatever that actually looks like. Trust it. And help each other with your anxiety. Help each other to chase joy. Pray as much as you can, however prayer looks for you. I couldn't pray for years, but have found my way back to it now. I have found it a beautiful way to stay grounded in gratitude, giving thanks to God. Don't get me wrong, I don't mean the gratitude of toxic positivity and emotional bypassing but a grounded form of gratitude that sits alongside grief. There is peace to be found in this kind of gratitude, a peace that looks very different to the numbness that I used to think was peace. Anyway, I should rest now. The nurses keep telling me not to overdo it. But before I sign off, I should mention and thank you for the thing that prompted me to write in the first place, and that is the beautiful and very generous care package that you sent me. You really didn't need to do that, but I am so deeply grateful for your concern. I'm not sure when I will get to use the bath bombs, but they smell nice sitting on the little table beside my bed and have generated a lot of conversations with nurses and cleaners. So thank you again. I pray that God is meeting all your needs in the way she is meeting my needs through you. Sending lots of love to you all. Paul. P.S. I've heard that Tams and Shane and Rod are fighting about how to structure the upcoming series on Philippians. If other people can help them come to some sort of agreement and remind them not to sweat the small stuff, that would be great. So just before... Um, just before we go to communion, I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes uh, reflecting on mentors that we have had in our lives. We spend a lot of time in this community talking about the negative aspects of our past in church. And just briefly, you don't need to say anything, but I just want us to reflect on um, perhaps older mentors we have had in the past that have reflected the kind of love and concern that I hoped came through in that paraphrase of Philippians. Uh, 
Um, for me, I remember um, another guy called Rod, ironically, who I met in my early 20s, who was about 10 years older than me and modelled to me what it looked like to actively listen. I'd never learnt it. No one had ever taught me to genuinely inquire, to ask questions, to get underneath the surface to deep things. Um, so he was the person that I thought of as I thought about the, that idea of beautiful older mentors that have taught us valuable things that we've carried forward with us. Um, any other? Any one come to mind for you that you want to very briefly <laughs> share with us? Danielle. Um, I had a family friend who, uh, a couple that um, the the man, he, he was previously a minister and then he lost the use of his voice. But in some of the worst years of my mental illness when I was sort of away from church, um, he just offered for me to come and do woodwork in his workshop with him. And with uh, how I was with my mental health, I would sometimes turn up like an hour late or stand him up. Um, but he, and then I'd apologise, but he would uh, just keep offering to me to come, um, even though I was so unreliable. And he'd just be a very gentle presence with me. And I know he has quite uh, different theology to me, much more what we'd call conservative but um, he was just very humble and, like, as you can see, just very uh, continued to give to me, even though I wasn't in some ways um, able to reciprocate um, in a, with a give-and-take kind of friendship, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. That. Thanks, Danielle. I'd just like to mention the elder Graham, who used to come here and sit right here. Um, for those of us who have been here a while, they might remember him. He passed away mm, about four years ago, five years ago. What was his other name? Um, anyway, he, he used to come... Sorry? Trotter, that's right, Graham Trotter. And he used to come and he would tell us a lot of the rich history of this church. And for those of us who are new here... Um, you know, even us who've been here only 10 years, he'd been here more since he was a child, so probably 80 years. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so um, I, I just value that he was able to enlighten us on, on the, the wonderful history of this church that we sort of are built on, the foundations of, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Louise. Lovely to honour Graham. I just wanted to um, mention a lady, um, Christine, who came into my life probably, I don't know, about eight or so years ago and not even for a very long time because she um, had a, a decline in health. Um, but um, similar to you, Rod, this um, lady was the first person that I'd really met that um, met me and saw me and just wanted to listen. And it was a time that I had a whole bunch of questions about a whole lot of things and um, she had this way of, of listening but um, helping me to sort of 
work out what I thought. Um, she wasn't interested in telling me her opinions, which similar to you, Danielle, I, I knew sort of, you know, where she was coming from, but um, just really loved the way that she, um, yeah, had a, a knack of asking the right questions, um, yeah, getting me to think about things rather than giving me answers, and yeah, I'll always be grateful for that. I don't really want to say anyone in particular, but more just acknowledge that um, I guess despite how some of the relationships I've had with mentors of mine have ended, I want to affirm that what I've learned from them has still been good and still been valuable and I tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So it's a reminder to myself and maybe to others that despite how relationships have ended, there was good in them. Thanks, everyone. So I guess I just hope as we continue with this series, we've got a, a week off next week, so we've got a couple of weeks before we... Um, yeah, next week Shane's got a, you know, a special for us, but then we'll get back to Philippians after that. Um, so I guess it's, it's kind of this feeling that I want us to hold as we look at the letter to the Philippians and as we encounter some of the parts of it that might um, feel a bit awkward or difficult, just trying to hold on to that idea of um, Paul who you know, suffered in Philippi and who loved those people and desperately wanted them to, to thrive and to live into the freedom that he had encountered in Jesus. Try to hold on to that feeling as we continue to look at um, the book and uh, encourage you over the next couple of weeks, if you feel strong enough to read the letter to the Philippians and see what you make of it, and then we will um, start exploring it for a few weeks um, in June. As we move to um, communion, um, I just wanted to um, reflect on the fact that the communities that Paul set up in Philippi and other places were a very diverse bunch of people, always a diverse bunch of people, always people on the margins of Roman society. And the communities that Paul set up always defied the hierarchies and separations of Roman culture. Uh, so this morning as we, as we eat and drink together, um, my hope is that we can aspire to be the same, a diverse bunch who defy the hierarchies and separations of our own culture. Uh, with, with communion in our community, Everyone is welcome to, to take part if you want and everyone is welcome not to if you don't want to. That's totally fine. We normally come forward, someone will crack the crackers um, and then you can take a piece of cracker and a little thing of juice. We will stand in a loose circle, um, then I'll pray and then we can eat and drink together. So yeah, if you feel comfortable doing it, come forward, take a little piece of cracker and a thing of juice and then we will pray and eat and drink. Uh, 
Um, so since we are doing a bit of a cappella today, and um, and in the spirit of paraphrase, I thought I might sing you my um, Lord's Prayer. And uh, if you know it, feel free to sing along. But if you don't, feel free just to experience it as a prayer to lead into communion. Sorry to make you hold your cups and cracker for a little while, but Annika, feel free just to drink. Motherly father, fatherly mother, who walks with us and calls us son, we are your beloved and we are yours. Give us today the things we need. Give us today a glimpse of your beauty as we will one day see it face to face. Give us today what we need to keep walking and give us the strength to walk with grace. When we lose our way, bring us back to the path and help us show the path to each other. Raise us up when we sink to the ground and raise our eyes to the hills. Raise us up when we sink to the ground Lift our eyes to the hills Where you wait for us Longing to hold us close Where you wait for us Longing to hold us close Longing to hold us, hold us in your arms. Longing to hold us, hold us in your arms. Amen. Let's eat and drink. <laughs> 